everybody settle down <clears throat> okay let's pray real quick guys for our service as mama's passing out papers thank you mama <clears throat> dear heavenly father lord i come to you today lord just to thank you lord for having us in your house lord i ask you to please open hearts and minds lord take away any, any distractions lord that that these words of yours will be something that enters our hearts lord and, and just fills our minds lord and, and we will see <clears throat> what you would have us to see, Lord. I ask you all these things in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Bye. All right, well, good morning again. And uh, last couple of weeks we kind of took a pause because we had to teach about Halloween that was something that was evil that was going on. <clears throat> and we need to stand against it. As, as we've seen, we need to stand against, against the evil of this world and, and call it out, right, instead of just participating in it. So... Christians, we're trying to remember uh, to memorize our Bible verses, right? So has ever, anybody learned all of them yet? That's what I thought. So the, the books of the Bible, let's, let's, let's say them together, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And then you have the first and seconds, right? So first and second, Samuel. First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and then we can add on two E's and an N, right? Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So we're going to keep moving forward. I, I, I have a hard time memorizing anything. I can't memorize dates and names. That's out. You know, I can remember, you know, things and stuff, but I try, I try to do it in little bites. Like our first little bite was the first five books, and then, then we did the, the two J's and an R, and then we did the first and seconds, and now we have two E's and an N. That's the way I'm trying to remember it. So if it works for you, that's great. If not, man, you figure out the way you can remember it, okay? Let's move on. So we, we stopped talking about, we were talking about walking in the spirit, and it, it, it's kind of ironic right in the middle of that. Here comes the the evil spirit of Halloween, but we're going to continue talking about walking in the spirit. And we've been talking about this for some time, about following God and, 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 and following in steps of Jesus and, and, and walking, 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 and about how there's a huge difference between what we see in this physical world and the spiritual. And there's a huge difference, and we have to understand that. We can't see the spiritual, but we have to be able to at least understand it and know it's there. Okay, because that's where 90% of our battle is. It's spiritual. It's not physical. And let's start off. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> the Bible says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. What he's talking about? He's talking about our, our physical flesh is always fighting against the spirit and the spirit's fighting against the flesh. Because why? Because the flesh wants to do what it wants to do. 
It doesn't want to do what God wants us to do, right? But the spirit is created by God and it wants to follow God. So they're fighting, they're at war. And this is, they're, they're exactly complete opposites. The flesh and the spirit are, are in a constant state of conflict against each other. They're, they're constantly fighting, fighting, fighting. They're, they're not going to be friendly towards each other, right? And that's what we, that's the contact, that's the, I'm sorry, the conflict we have within us is our flesh fighting with our spirit, our flesh fighting with our spirit, right? How often do you battle with that? Maybe when you wake up first thing in the morning and you know that your spirit wants to pray and it wants to read the Bible before you start your day. And that's a good way to start. What's your flesh want to do? It wants to put the head back down on the pillow. It wants to hit the snooze maybe three more times. Okay, that's the battle that we're in. That's the fight. And, and the result is that we can't just do what we want to because that would be giving into the flesh, you know. And you think about it. <clears throat> that's what we're fighting. But let's look at the st- same chapter, uh, Galatians 5. Let's look at verse 18, next one down. It says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. What are you talking about? Well, it's the solution to the problem. It's you need to allow your life to be led completely by the Holy Spirit. And that means you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. You yield yourself to God. You yield yourself to God's will, not your will. And let's talk about the law there. Well, let's talk about like the Ten Commandments is the law that some of the law that was put down, right? Don't have no other gods before our God, right? Don't have any idols. You know, you don't use God's name in vain. You don't kill nobody. You don't steal. We know those laws, right? But you could, you could keep every one of those laws and still be following your flesh. And that's the battle we have. You know, that's the battle we're in. And we need to see what kind of battle this really is. And let's go to Romans 6.13. <clears throat> Romans 6.13. And you could take the world today and look at, you could bring up any problem in the world today, any problem and, and the world wouldn't understand this because they don't understand God and they don't understand the spirit. But you could take absolutely any problem we have in the world today and it's a spiritual battle. And it can only be won spiritually. Abortion. It's a physical thing. Lots of kids are getting killed, right? But it's a spirit. It's the spirit in that person that wants to have an abortion. It's the spirit in that person that goes out and has sex outside of marriage. It's the spirit of the person, the doctor and the nurses that are committing the abortion. It's the spirit of the politicians and the people that support that. It's a spiritual battle, okay? Not a physical battle. Let's look at Romans 6.13. The Bible says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members are instruments of righteousness unto God. What is he talking about? Yield. That means you present yourself. You present your members, right? This means that we are supposed to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And, and this is this is talking about your day to day living, right? Day to day living, you, you need to yield to God and stop giving yourself up to sin. That's exactly what this verse is talking about. Yield to God, yield to his will. You know, I keep going back to it, but those little bracelets were true. What would Jesus do? It's exactly what that bracelet was talking about. That little little thing that people came up with. Yield to God. Yield to him. Do not yield to sin. Quit giving it up to sin. And we do that. We, we're going to sin, right? 
and we sin every day. But we need to stop. We need to fight against that. That's what we're talking about here. In Romans, <clears throat> let's look at Romans 7. <clears throat> in this, if you, if you read this and study these, these, words, uh, these verses, this is, this is the battle of, of, of uh, we go through every day. This is the spiritual battle we fight in the flesh. And we're going to read uh, Romans 7, 14. And let's just read to the end of the chapter, okay? Starting in verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. What is it talking about? Carnal, that's fleshly, right? But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. It's talking about sin there, right? You hate the sin, but you're still doing it. Right. So verse 16, if then I do that, which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me. But but how to perform that which is good, I find not. <clears throat> For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no, it is no more that no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For then a law, <clears throat> when I would do good, evil is present within me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with... With the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's us in a daily battle, isn't it? That is, that is it. That is what human beings go through. And if you're a Christian, you're in that battle too, because now you've accepted Christ. He's your Savior, and He's there, and He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean your flesh is not going to fight. That doesn't mean that once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the flesh is going to go, okay, I give up. No, it's going to fight harder. It doesn't want to do that. You know, like getting your kids to do their chores. That's a fight, right? They don't want to do those chores, but it's the right thing to do. Same thing with us. And, and we, are, we are yielded to and filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian. We are not doing the things that we want, we want to do, right? That is, we are not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's where we should be. And thus, it, it, the evidence of walking in the spirit is that the works of the flesh are not prominent or dominant in our lives. Okay. And this idea of, of complete, sustained submission to the spirit in every, every aspect of our lives at every single moment is not, is not a realistic expectation. We are not going to, we're not going to just walk in the spirit. And once we're saved, the Holy Spirit fills us and we're going to stay on this path and never get off. Okay? Thank God Christ still died for our sins. And not died for just the sins we had before. He died for all the sins we're still going to commit. That's forgiveness. 
Okay? And, and we should never expect to achieve this prolonged, long, sinless life of perfection, right? On this side of glory, we can't do it. Because we're here fighting with our flesh and we're born in sin and our flesh loves that sin. Okay? Once we get to heaven, yeah, we're great because we're settled. We're bought and paid for. And there, we're in God's presence and there will be no sin. Okay? So all Christians will continue, if you're on this earth, you will continue to experience this conflict between your flesh and your spirit the whole life you're here. As long as you're here, you're going to fight that battle. You're never going to get to that point where it's not fighting you. Okay? But here's the thing. The more you pray, the more you read your Bible, the more you go to church, the more you listen to sermons, the more you, you, you just, just fill yourself with God, the easier it gets. The easier it gets. Okay? Think about it. When you get saved, you know, you might be at that time in your life when you're going to church every time it's open. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. But what about six months down the road or a year down the road and you slack off? What happens to you spiritually? You start cooling down, right? And it's easier to sin. It's just like we always say, you feed your body food, right? And your body stays strong. Some of us stay fat, okay? But if you don't feed your body, what happens? You waste away. You become a skeleton. You become weak because your body eats muscle before it eats fat. Same thing spiritually. If you do not feed your spirit daily, you will be weak. And the flesh will be strong. And that's what we're talking about. And, and <clears throat> so walking in the spirit is the same as being led by the spirit or being filled by the spirit. And that's what we need to seek to do. And we need to pray for that every day. God, please fill me with your spirit today. Fill me with it. Because we don't have the power to walk in the spirit alone. Okay? So... Some believe that the spirit leads Christians into the, in this mysterious, mystical way, right? And, and the Christians then have to decipher what God is trying to tell them and hope that they have not misinterpreted these feelings, right, and these hints. Wrong. You just read the Bible. It's pretty clear, right? Let's look at Ephesians 5.18. So there's no feelings here and there's no... You know, oh, well, I think God wants me to do this. No, God's pretty straightforward. <clears throat> so let's look at Ephesians 5, 18. The Bible says, And be not drunk with the wine wherein is excess, but, here we go, but be filled with the Spirit. This is God's will for us. God's will is that, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. A more practical, practical and objective way to think about this is, is being filled and leading and led by the Spirit. That means you, you're designed, you're defined by God, and you're designed by God to yield your control of your life, once you become a Christian, to the Holy Spirit. You just give up, right? And, and that amounts to basically what? Submitting to the Word of God. Submit to this Bible. If it's in here and it tells you to do it, do it. If you don't do it, you're going against God. You're rebelling. Okay? So let's look at Psalms 3723. Psalms 3723. Sorry about my voice. It's kind of hoarse today. But uh, it's kind of funny. I'm allergic to oak trees. What's in Houston? Oak trees. They plant them everywhere. 
Every house has a little baby oak tree. Psalms 37, 23. <clears throat> the Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Okay, what are we talking about? Ordered. Well, we're not talking about control. God doesn't control your steps. You're not a robot. He doesn't force you to walk after him. Okay? Controlled means they're established. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're following God, God has a line already set for you to walk. And he wants you to walk it. But you have free will. You can listen to your flesh and you can step off that path, right? And then you're in trouble. Just like a field sobriety test. Walk the line, you go home. Step off the line, you go to jail. Same thing. Walk the line with God. He establishes our steps. He does not force you to follow Him. You can rebel against God and you will be a most miserable person. You'll be depressed. You'll be miserable. You'll be bitter and angry. Everything is going to bother you. And eventually you're going to have, we've, we've read about this before, you'll start having health problems, mental problems, all kind of craziness. Because you're fighting against God. It's like banging your head against a concrete wall. How long before your head starts getting damaged, right? Exact same thing. So let's look at um, <clears throat> Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9. <clears throat> and trust me, I, I speak from experience. I bang my head against that concrete wall a lot. A lot. And, and through my life, I've failed God a lot. And I've, I've fought against God a lot. I've rebelled against God. And I pay the price. But you have to ask for forgiveness and get up and keep going. Keep going. Okay? Proverbs 16, 9. The Bible says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Okay, deviseth. What does that mean? That means plan. So a man's heart plans your ways. Well, we know. What does the Bible say about the heart? It's desperately wicked, right? So do you want a desperately wicked heart uh, leading you? No, but it's going to try. Your desperately wicked heart is going to tell you, oh, I don't want to pray this morning. Man, I don't want to read my Bible. I'll read it later. What a lie. What a lie. Because the world's going to occupy you. You know, oh man, do I really want to go to Sunday school? I'll just go to church. You know, think about it. Tonight or this afternoon when you have that mid-afternoon nap, and you wake up, your body's going to be like, do I really want to go to prayer at five? They won't miss me. Hmm. You're missing an opportunity to speak to your Lord with your church family. Yes. And what does it say there? It says, it says, the Lord directeth your steps. That's that path. He's already got your path laid out. Just follow it. Follow Jesus Christ. The, the, the will of God is revealed in the Bible, right? And, and that, the Bible we know is inspired by what? By the Spirit of God. So here it is. Here's your instruction book, right? And the Christian's responsibility is to take this Bible and apply the wisdom that's in here with the practical circumstances, right? Basically, trusting God to guide our steps. Let him open those doors. We talk about that. If God opens the door, you step through it. If God shuts that door, you're not going to open it. Follow God. Follow his will. Okay? Let's go to Galatians 5.22. Let's get into, you know, this stuff that we're talking about. And this is, this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road here. 
You know, you're thinking about, oh, well, you know, I, I feel God wants me to do this or all these people have feelings or thoughts or different interpretations. No, this is the rubber meets the road right here. OK, Galatians 5, 22, and we're going to read down through 26. If you're a Christian, this is you need to listen up closely. Galatians 5, 22 to 26, the Bible says, but we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Remember we talked about that law. And, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. That's it right there. That's what you need. So walking in the spirit produces what? It produces the fruit of the spirit. Okay. So if you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now he's going to give you fruit. The Bible says you will have this fruit. It doesn't say, did it say may have this fruit or sometimes have this fruit. No, a Christian will have this fruit. Point blank, right? So these, these fruits are listed in the New Testament and they're representative of, of a rather kind of an exhaustive list, right? It's a pretty long list there, right? And, and, but these fruit will be, will be in keeping with, with others that are consistent in the New Testament. You could take this fruit of the Spirit and, and look at it along the whole New Testament. And it all comes back to the fruit of the Spirit. Everything that Christ taught, everything that, that the apostles taught, everything that, that all the disciples and apostles taught comes back to the fruit of the Spirit. If you're saved and if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you will have these. Point blank, right? And, and these fruits, they're a cluster. It's not singular fruit, right? It's a cluster of fruit, okay? It, and it, it says the, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. Okay, that means they're together. They come in a like a, a big, big bag of grapes or, you know, whatever it is called where all the grapes are together. That's what these fruits are. They're all connected. They're not singular. Okay, and, and all of them should be present in a Christian's life. And, and at some, at, at least in some degree in every Christian's life, you should see these. If you don't see this in a person that calls himself a Christian, there's a big problem. Either they're in some serious rebellion or they're not saved. Okay? And these fruits, um, they proceed from the Holy Ghost, from the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian, you need to submit to the Spirit. We've been talking about this, right? And how do you submit? Through the Word of God. This is your guidebook. This is your instruction book, right? And, and the Spirit produces, the Bible says right here, the Spirit of God produces these fruits in a Christian's life. This is your guidebook. You need to listen to it. The Bible. It's just like when you were kids, you played Monopoly, right? How many of those had made up the rules they went along or changed the rules to fit what they wanted? Okay, you can't do that with the Bible. And that's what a lot of people do. They want to be saved because they want to go to heaven, but yet they want to live their life the way they want to. They're changing the rules of God's book to suit their sin. It's exactly what we're doing. We can't do that. So, what exactly are these fruit that we're talking about? Well, let's look at the first one. It says love, okay? And this is not like, I love pizza. Or, you know, I love tacos. Oh, man, do I love tacos. 
different love, okay? This is not like, you know, I love sports or I love my wife or I love my children or my dog or cat or whatever you want to have that you have to take care of. This is an agape love. This is the love that God had for you. This is the love that, that allowed God to send his son to die for you, okay? This is an agape love. This is an unselfish love. This is a divine love that seeks the good of the one that's loved, right? God sent his son because his love sought us. He sought the best for us. He gave us the first fruit, right? He gave us his son who was without blemish, okay? This love should extend to everyone in your life, and it should follow Christians in particular. You should have this kind of love. If you don't, if you have love for only a certain group of people, or, you know, I don't like them or them or them at church, or I really don't like this person, there is something seriously wrong with you. You don't have agape love. You have a fleshly love, one that can pick and choose who you like, right? So what else do we have on there? Well, we have the word joy. So joy is the soul's satisfaction with its union with God. Okay, it's not joy because we're having some fancy music or joy because I have a, a taco party at my house today. No, it's joy with a union with God. And this is the greatest and highest good. This is the actual rejoicing because Christ is in you. This is the joy you have. And, and it's, it's a joy for, for, what is, for, for what is honorous, right? What is honor and what is respectful and what is glory and what is righteousness. That's the joy you find. You're not finding joy in video games or, or race cars or, 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 you know, going out hunting or something else. You can have joy in the fleshly way for those, but we're talking about spirit. We're talking about a spiritual joy, right? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13.6. 1 Corinthians 13.6. 1 Corinthians 13.6. The Bible says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity. So don't have joy with sin, right? Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And this should be as a Christian. You rejoice in the truth of God. What are you rejoicing in? The truth of his word, his Bible. This is truth. Whatever is in here is how you live. This is what you live by. You rejoice in the truth of God's word. This should be in you. This is the joy you should have. Okay, let's look at Romans 12, 15. Romans 12, 15. Romans 12, verse 15, the Bible says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. We're talking about Christians, right? So this, this is because Christians are supposed to rejoice with other Christians in goodness. The goodness of what? The goodness of God, not in the goodness of us. We have no goodness, right? But it also says to weep with those. So when people are hurting, you weep with them, Okay. But you find that joy and we find that joy through Christ, not through anything else. Right. Another word, another fruit right there. Peace. Do you have peace? Let's look at Romans 5, 1. Romans 5, verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay? And, and, and it says right there, um, justified by faith. Justified by faith. What is that talking about? That means that peace, we get that because we're justified through God's doing. It's nothing we can do. We can't make this joy for ourselves. We can do everything. We could have all the money in the world and spend it every dollar on trying to make ourselves happy and bring joy, but we'll never bring the joy that God gives us because it's something that God does within us through the Holy Spirit. It's joy that you can only have if the Holy Spirit is there and if you're not grieving that Holy Spirit, right? And then it says, peace, right? What does the verse says? It says, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, how do you get this peace? You get this peace by standing with God, by following God, by being obedient to God. Submitting to God will bring you peace, okay? It's not a feeling. This world runs on feelings. Everybody, I feel this way and I feel that way. I don't care about your feelings. I care about what this word of God says. Your feelings mean nothing. The word of God means everything. Okay, how many, how many, how many times do people get bent out of shape because of a feeling? I feel you did this, or I feel you did that, or I feel this. I don't care. What did the word of God say? Right? Find that peace through God. And this peace is with God and through God. It's nothing about us. Absolutely nothing. This peace has to do with uh, uh, positional, external, and, and, and a permanent peace, right? It's describing the Christian as unchangeable relationship to God no matter what is going on around you. Do you have that relationship? If, if you know, everything's going great and you're having a great day and you got cookies and ice cream, awesome. Do you have the peace of God? But when things are going bad, when things aren't going right, when whatever's going wrong around you and, and Satan's attacking you and he's attacking those around you to get to you, do you still find that peace in God? That's when you need to buckle up. You need to buckle up and, and settle down and stand, right? The Bible says in Ephesians to stand. That's when you stand and go, okay, God, let's go. You're my strength. You're my shield. You're my protector. Let's go. These hard times are rough and they're not fun. I know I, I go through life. We all have those tough patches, right? But we have to look to God. And when we look away, I found this personal. This is, I guarantee you, I can, I can be a witness to this. When you look away from God and during those tough times, that's when it gets worse. That's when you fail. Okay? But this is what we're talking about. No matter what's going on, find that peace through God because it's given to you by God. Philippians 4, 7. Let's look at this one. Philippians 4, 7. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. That's not hard to do, right? My understanding is very little. But the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a pretty strong verse. But we're talking about the peace of God. It's given to Christians and it has to do with their experiences and their internal feelings of peace, right? And it's based on, on, on what? Your peace is based on your relationship with God. Not your relationship a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. It's based on your relationship right now. And how do you have a relationship with God? You follow him. You obey his word. Okay? If you step off from that, you can break that fellowship with God. And then you need to get right. And you need to get right with God and right with whoever you're wrong with or whatever you've done. 
and you get back on the path. Okay? But, so you, you, it's based on your current relationship with God. And, and this piece refers to, to Christians, freedom from what? Freedom from all these, these fears we may have. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from, from uh, emotions they may be agitating you and pushing you. All these feelings and, and distresses and, and, and anxi- like I said, anxiety and, and, you know, all these feelings, right? The, but the peace of God gives you feelings too. It gives you tranquility. It gives you calmness. It gives you a stillness. It gives you composure no matter what's going on if you're standing with God. Right? It's like standing in a wind tunnel and you stand in one place and you're good, but you step off and that wind just wipes you out. You have to stand where God wants you to stand. Remember, he's ordered our steps, so stand in those steps. Right? What is that poem, uh, walking in the sand or something or footprints of God? And it finds out that God's carrying you. Yeah, well, walk in his steps, right? So, you know, we have long suffering. We have patience. We have perseverance, right? That's all given to us from God. We have the ability to, to stand up. We have the ability to bear up under pressure without resorting to sinful reactions. That is God. That is following God. Okay? So, let's look at gentleness. Do you have gentleness? Well, if you're Christian, you should. And this is the quality of being quiet, being tame, being docile, being pliable. It means you're, you're not hard and rigid. You, you can, you know, give a little, right? You're mild, you're kind, you're tender. Are those aspects in you, right? That's gentleness. That's godly gentleness. That's the, and you can only have this type of gentleness if you have God. And you can only keep this kind of gentleness if you're following God. If you've stepped off, guess what? You're not going to be tame. You're not going to be docile. You're not going to be pliable. You're not going to be mild. You're not going to be kind. You're not going to be tender. Think about all the opposites of those words because that which is what you will be. Okay? What about goodness? It says goodness. Well, goodness is the quality. It's not only wishing others good, right? But it's also doing good to others. And doing good for others. It is the virtue of bestowing upon others that which builds them up, not tears them down. Right? Goodness. Do you build people up or do you tear them down? You know, I'm not talking about going punching them in the nose. How do you treat people? How do you talk to people? Do you tear them down? You build them up. Think about in your interactions, just within your family, and your friends, and your church. Do you tear people down in your church, or do you build them up? Okay? That's goodness. Okay? And it, it is the opposite of doing harm. It's the opposite of doing evil to others. God fills you with His goodness. Because our goodness, I guarantee you, you'd be wanting to throat punch people, right? Every time somebody crosses your path, mm, that's not Christ in you. Okay, what would Jesus do, right? Also, the, the fruits of the Spirit says faith, faith. And the Greek word for faith is translated literally faith or faithfulness. It's faith, faith. Do you have faith? Well, Galatians 5.22, let's look at this. Galatians 5.22. <clears throat> I get very nervous when I see the pastor taking notes. Galatians 5.22, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Faith, right? 
And we see in, in, in a sense that it seems to be that, that faithfulness, right? Is that? That's fidelity. That, that's trustworthiness. That's steadfastness. That's standing up. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in this word, this Bible that God has given us? If you do, you will stand by faith. That means you're standing on that mountaintop and everything's going on around you. Everything's going on. The volcano's exploding. The tornadoes are coming. You know, the rains are doing and the lightning's hitting you, but you still stand. And we don't stand by our own strength because our strength is based in what? Sin and flesh. So if we were standing on that mountain on our own strength, we would be wiped out and the mountaintop would be empty because we would be blown off of it. You stand in God's faith. You stand in the faith of him through his word because he gave you the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you should have this. Okay? And faithfulness is, is the quality of being faithful to what? Faithful to each other? No, faithful to God. And it means you're believing his truths and you're, and you're keeping his commandments, right? This is what we're doing. And it's being faithful to, to men and, and it means we fulfill our duties to each other, right? And, and we, we keep our promises to each other, right? What, is it, what does the Bible talk about in marriage? It says the husband, right? It's supposed to protect his wife, provide for his wife. Be not bitter against her. You can only do that if you have the Holy Spirit. Wives, What's the first thing he tells you to do? Submit. He doesn't say love them. He says submit to them. Because if you can't submit, you won't love. Submit, then respect, then love. Right? That's what you're supposed to do. Children, he's pretty good about this. He gives you one that has a promise with it. He says, obey your mother and father, and you'll have a long life. What's the opposite? Be rebellious? He doesn't promise you a long life then, does he? Right. But this is what we're talking about. This is faith. This is what you're talking about. This is what you've got to do. You've got to be faithful and stand with Christ. You've got to be stay faithful and stand with God, with the faith that he gave you. If you are standing with God in the faith that he gave you and the strength he gave you, you will. You will love your wives. You will not be bitter against them. You know, you'll protect them. You'll provide for them. Wives, you'll submit without without even blinking an eye. You know, and you'll respect your husband and you'll follow him. You'll love him. Children, if you're a Christian, you'll obey. You'll obey. And, it, and that's, uh, that's funny. That's the one that has promise. Obey or it's not going to be a fun trip for you, right? It's like getting on a roller coaster. They tell you to sit down, put on your seatbelt, put down the crash bar, right? Why? That's because if you don't, what happens when you're going around the roller coaster? You fall out and die. Not a good thing. Okay, so the next one we talk about is meekness, meekness. That's the quality of accepting our place in life without complaining, right? Meekness. That means you, re you receive discipline without resentment. Can you receive correction from God? Can you receive correction from those in your life that God put there? Can you do it without resentment? That means you're accepting injustice of this world without retaliating against it. Can you do that? Right. Or, or being are you are being willing to yield uh, to non-essential things in your life to, to present to prevent strife and division. Right. You're, you're, are you being willing to, to not give up on your Christian liberties? You know, are you willing to go out there and win sinners to Christ no matter what they say about you? 
You know, are you willing to edify the saints? These are things that we're supposed to be doing, right? This is meekness. This is meekness, right? And, and needless to say, meekness is not weakness, okay? That's kind of hard. You think about it. Being meek, being that quiet spirit, being that one that's be able to stand in those bad times, be able to, to take it when, when people are just throwing it at you. They're throwing rocks at you and you just take it. That's not weakness. That's strength. Weakness would be picking those stones up and throwing them back. And I'd throw them harder and faster. You know, like punching in the throat, right? Meekness doesn't punch in the throat. The next one we talked about was temperance. Temperance. So temperance, the Greek word means self-control, having mastery over your own desires, your own appetites, your own passions. And this is of the mind and of the body, right? And temperance includes dominion over all evil propensities, right? All this sin that you're tempted with, right? And, and it, it may denote uh, continuance. It may condote chastity uh, or governing yourself, right? Self-government, um, moderation in, in regards to all indulgences that you think you might need. You don't need those. No, you need to follow God. And these influences of the Holy Spirit it, it, that's in your heart will make you a person that, that it teaches you to restrain your passions, right? That's temperance. It teaches you, the, the Holy Spirit will teach you to govern yourself, Okay, you don't have to be told what to do because you're following God. You're following that path and you're letting the Holy Spirit lead you, right? This is self-control, okay? This is, this, is <clears throat> sub not, this is subduing yourself to all those inordinate affections that you have, right? All those lusts that are in you, right? This is what we're talking about, temperance, temperance, okay? Temperance in a knife blade means that it's tempered so it's strong, but it's sharp and it will not break. That's the way we need to be with Christ. We need to have the Holy Spirit so deep within us that we're strong, yet we're sharp and we will not break. That's temperance. Do you have that in you? Galatians 5.23. The Bible says, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Right. So we see against such there is no law. And Paul was talking about here. He, he's commending this verse, commending these virtues, these fruits of the spirit. And, and they're universally recognized as positive and valuable. Right. Even the world will say, yeah, that's good things. But they have a whole different definition. Right. Because their definition is not through the Holy Spirit. Right. And, and no law was ever written to condemn the fruit of the spirit. And those who live in this way have nothing to fear from any law or judicial institution, right? So what are the results of this fruit of the Spirit? Well, let's look at still in Galatians 5, 24 through 26. Let's read this. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So... What are we talking about? Well, Christians are no longer to be held captive by their passions and lusts, right? The, the lust of the flesh no longer dominate your life, right? Christians are to walk by the Spirit. And that means that they conduct and, and they conduct their conduct conforms to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And they're given through God's Word, right? It also means that Christians... Get along with others. They get along with each other because they are not, they're not conceited, they're not envious, and they're not divisive. They have 
the love of God within them. Right? So what is the significance of the fruits of the Spirit? Well, number one, these are what is produced. If you're a Christian and you have the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, they're produced in you and they should be visible in your life. Right? They should be visible in your person every single day. Right? Because why? Because the Holy Spirit put them there. And not just one of the fruit, all of them. Okay? Also, unlike the, you know, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, where, where some gifts may be given to a Christian here and there to, to, to do God's work, right? No, the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of these fruits of the Spirit are given to every single Christian. Because you're filled, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, they are all given to you at once. All nine of them. So you can't say you're a Christian and only have one fruit of the Spirit. Because if you do that, you're either not saved and you're lying to yourself or you're in a serious rebellious state against God. You must have all nine if you're a Christian. Okay? Also, the fruit of the Spirit will cause you to grow as a Christian. Okay? Just like the, more you, the, the longer you follow Christ and the closer you follow Christ the stronger your fruit will be and the more you will have, right? It's just like a garden. If we planted a fruit tree out here, let's say we planted nine fruit trees out in this field and I've planted them and they die, right? But let's say we planted nine trees and we had a gardener that comes in and waters them, fertilizes them and trims them up every year. Those fruit are going to go stronger and stronger and be more multiplied, right? Now, what if we didn't trim them? What if we didn't water them and we did not fertilize them? Those fruit would be weak and they would die. Exact same thing with the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, and how do you do that? You come to church, you read your Bible, you pray, you listen to this word of God. So examine yourself today. Read those later today. The fruit of the Spirit. See if you have all nine. And see if they're weak or are they strong. And then you will be able to see where you are with God. If you're a Christian. If you're even saved. Think about that. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you today, Lord, just thank you for this moment to open your word, to hear your word, and just learn about the fruit of the Spirit, which is, Lord, it's so important because it's a spiritual battle we're fighting, not a physical one, Lord, and I ask you, Lord, just to be with us today, Lord, just help us think about these words and these fruit, Lord, and if we don't have them, why do we not have them, Lord, or are they grieved, or are we not even saved, Lord, and I ask you, Lord, just open our hearts and minds today, Lord, to these words and to the preaching that we are going to hear, Lord. And let it just change lives today, change, change families, change homes, and change our church, Lord. Just draw us all closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
glad that you're back in the house of the Lord. And for you that are here for the first time, welcome to Glory Baptist Church. We appreciate you being here as well. And you that has been here for the hundredth time, thank you for keep coming back. Amen. And so we're glad that the Lord has given us a privilege and honor to come back to the house to hear his word. Amen. Amen. And to be able to sing songs that lift up Jesus, to be around people that love the Lord, and, and then just be under the preaching of God's word. My, what a privilege and honor that is today. I don't know if you know, but there's a many of folks all over, the, all over the world who does not have this privilege today that we do. And I'll pray that we don't take it for granted that one day this may be taken from us. But I pray as we do have it, we'll just be obedient to him this morning. Follow the Lord. Amen. Yes. Whatever the Spirit says to you today, you do. Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray. Ask the Lord to be a help to us. And, and we're so thankful for you being here. May God be glorified and honored and exalted in his holy name. Amen. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation of our souls. Thank you, Father, for heaven. Thank you for eternal life. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for, the, for your love and mercy and grace, how you have manifested it this week towards us. And, and yet at the same time, Lord, we appreciate the chastisement of the Lord and the correction of the Lord, the rebuking of the Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, you don't leave us alone and let's let us be. Lord, you love us enough, dear God, to keep us. I ask you now, Lord, to speak to our hearts through this morning. God, may the song and may the word. And God, may we be able to listen today. God, may we not be distracted in any way. God, I pray, Father, that you bind anything and everything that may bring disruption. God, that may bring distraction. I ask you, God, that we would pay attention, dear God, what God has to say to us this morning. Father, we know that we're in the last days. We know we're in the days, dear God, called perilous days. And yet at the same time, Lord, we know that you want to do a work within our hearts and our souls. God, I ask you, dear God, that we'd be willing to do wherever and go wherever you'd ask us to go and do. Lord, I pray you save the lost this morning. I pray you'd encourage the saved. God, help the sick and diseased this morning. Those that are down and out, Lord, we pray you give them strength and help. I pray you draw them unto you. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. 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 All right. Good morning again, church. We'll become ready, excited to worship the Lord. I know I am. It's looking like a good day so far. Amen. Amen. Let's go to page 132. 132. What better way to start off than just to say that our Savior lives. Amen. Amen. Page 132. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. At just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blasts. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, 
Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, so Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. 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 For singing the next song, we have a couple of birthdays to sing for. We got Brother Charles' birthday here was on Friday, correct? Yeah. All right. Let's sing a birthday song, Charles. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Sir. Brother Charles and his family has been a great blessing to this church. Amen. And Jackson over there, his birthday is today. Amen. Look at him. That's saying happy birthday, Jackson. Amen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. <clears throat> All right, let's go ahead and continue to sing into the Lord. Go to page 209. 209. <clears throat> you read in Ephesians today that God has quickened us when we're dead in yes, sins. Amen. Made alive, and by grace we are saved. Thank right. you, Lord, for his grace. Page 209. <clears throat> Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's round outboard, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is greater than all our sin sin and despair like the sea waves gold threaten the soul with infinite loss grace that is greater yes grace untold points to the refuge the mighty cross grace grace god's grace grace so will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is grace 
God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. standing. Good morning, church. It's uh, good to see uh, some new faces in this morning. Welcome to Glory Baptist Church. We're glad you're here. I just want to thank God for another day, because every day that we have breath, He still has a purpose for us. Amen? Yeah, that's right. Today's uh, scripture read will be in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 through 16, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And the word of God says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. When I read this scripture, it makes me think about the roles of our our fathers, our earthly fathers, and then how great our heavenly father is. When we are born into this world, our earthly father and mother have the responsibility to love us, to feed us, and to teach us so that we would uh, be able to grow and to be able to stand in uh, the things this world has to offer. But those of us who are born again, we are born from above. And our heavenly father, our Lord and Savior, care for us. And he gave us pastors and teachers and some evangelists because he loves us. And he wants to feed us with his word, and he wants, us to, he wants to teach us the things of God so that we grow spiritually and so that we don't get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, to be able to stand when the deception from this world tries to attack. And because of our faith in Jesus from the heart and what he did for us, we are adopted children of the Most High God. And we are baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ and he promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. Right. And uh, to glory to God because what a father he is to us. Amen. 
and we thank him for that. Yes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning to say thank you, Lord, for another day you have given us, Father. Thank you, Father, for the, the body of Christ in the church, Father, and saving our souls, Father, and, and, and caring for us, Lord, that, that, that you, you keep us in your word. You teach us your word, Father, so that whenever uh, the devil tries to come attack, Father, we can stand firm in your word, Father, and, and, and by that we can see how much you love us, Father, for everything you've done for us, Lord. Father, we ask that you please... Uh, uh, bless this service today, Father. Bless the word that goes forth today, Father God. I pray that you open the ears of the hearers and the minds, Father, that they would receive what you would have them to receive, Lord. Father, I pray that we uh, see uh, uh, some salvations today, possibly, Father God. And Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us today, Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. You may be seated. Uh, as far as announcements go here in November, um, We'll be having our Thanksgiving dinner on the grounds uh, on the 12th uh, after our morning service. Uh, and we'll have our love luncheon on, the, on Saturday the 18th. And uh, Brother Jake's wife, Sister Tracy, will be the one leading the service uh, for that. Brother Cat and uh, Brother Charlie, would you come forth for the offering? Brother Cat, would you pray for our offering? Amen. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for your precious word. Yes. Father, we come before you. Yes. Not with virgin hearts, but with cheerful hearts, willing to give you of what you have given us. Not that it belongs to us, but it all belongs to you. So, Father, we give to you with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother.
sing. I hear the Savior sing, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. Can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace you claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I'd stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. How old, how old is she going to be? Oh, she's not here? Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll catch up with her next time. All right. All right. Well, good. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I was going to, I, I didn't give Sister Mary this for one of the things we're going to do for November, but uh, she'll put it on the next time. I don't know why I didn't do this, but we're still going to have the birthday fellowship at the the last Sunday of this month. Also, we're going to the nursing home on that same Sunday as well. And so I'd like to take something to the nursing home, Brother Cat, that we can give to those folks for Thanksgiving. Uh, so we can think about something like that, okay? And so also what we're going to do this year is different than we ever have done is, is I'd like to give a, a family in our church a Christmas gift. And uh, it'd be from our church, and, and so uh, we'd like to, to do that. I'd like for you to pray and just begin to look around, and might, the Lord may lay on your heart or something like that, or that uh, may be a family in our church that we could give a Christmas gift to. And so uh, I've got somebody in my heart, uh, and so I want you to search, seek out the Lord, search the Lord, and the family of our church that we can be a blessing to. And uh, so we are desire our hearts to do that, all right? All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. 
And we'll look in verse 35 and verse 36 this morning. And I want to preach on pro-choice. Pro-choice. I'm pro. Let's stand to our feet here this morning. Pro-choice. We see in verse 35 as we close out John chapter 3 and we'll move on to John chapter 4. But here we read in verse 35, The Father loveth the Son, hath given all things into His hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning as I humbly and submissively come to you this morning desiring, Lord, to be in your will. God, to be able to be in your presence this morning. God, to be under your influence and the impact of the Holy Ghost of God. We pray today, God, that you'll take away the blindness, you'll take away the deafness, and you'll remove the hardness. I pray today, dear God, will be the day of salvation for that sinner, dear God, that's close to hell. We're asking, Lord, that you'd move down deep in the hearts of each one of us. Father, that you'd make a difference this morning in the way of preaching. God, that we may leave out of here knowing that we've met with God, knowing that we have been visited by the Lord. Father, if you don't come and meet with us this morning, Lord, we have no really purpose of meeting. God, if you don't speak to our hearts through your word, God, then we'll leave out of here just as we came. And Lord, if you don't move in a mighty, powerful way, God, if you don't do something within our lives, Father, we'll never be anything except you do. And I ask you, God, to save the soul. I ask you to change the heart. I pray for those this morning, dear God, who just don't know. In Christ's precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we find that there was a conversation that took place here in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, and it has went all the way down through, and this conversation has now come to a place in John chapter 3 where Jesus sort of just sums up all that he has said. All of John chapter 3, 1 through 34, has now can be summed up. If you say, well, yeah, what did all that really mean? This is what it means right here. He ended with this chapter with the assumption of all that he goes. And it all comes down this morning to a, cho to a choice. It all comes down this morning to a choice. So if you're going to go to children's church, 4 to 7, you can leave now. You can go now. If you're four to seven, you actually got to be those ages. Four to seven. Sorry about that. I kind of got a little way ahead of myself. I need to get my act together. I'm just a hot mess. John chapter 3, verse 35, verse 37 through 36. We find as the Lord Jesus is summing up all things, the Holy Spirit of God is recording it. John is pinning it. We find it all comes down to choice. It all comes down to choice. Are you pro-choice? Choice. God gives us choice. 
I would say this morning you made a choice to come to the house of God. I believe this morning uh, you made a choice to bring your family. I believe it will be a choice tonight whether you come back or not. It will be a choice whether you go to work in the morning. It will be a choice whether you eat tomorrow. It will be a choice. In all of life, we make choices. For every choice, there's a consequence. There's always a consequence to the choice. And we find the choices that are made. You choose how to go to heaven. You choose how to go to hell. It's choice. It's all completely in your hands. And then God chooses for you. So you choose how to go to heaven. And you choose how to go to, he- how to, go to hell. But then God chooses for you. We find this being said right here. And I notice in the first thing is God's choice is his son. We see in verse 35, he says, The father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hand. God the father loveth the son. My, what a God in which we have today that has the ability to love. He has the ability to love the world and he gave his son. He has the ability to love his son and he gave to his son. He has the ability to love us this morning by it's an everlasting love. Aren't you glad that we serve a God and we have a Lord that is touched with our infirmities? That He's not a God that sits on a shelf made out of wood and ceramic and steel and glass? Aren't you glad that we have a God that has a heart, that has a spirit, Aren't you glad that we have a God today that's got ears, that's got eyes, that's got a mind? Aren't you glad today that we have a God that we can have relationship with and that we can have fellowship with? Oh, you just don't know this morning of all the worshipers of so-called gods all around the world and we are the most privileged. We are the most uh, ones who has the greatest honor that we get to worship and we get to have fellowship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation, the Lord God this morning, who you and I can look to and someday, one day, we'll look upon. Man, what a God. Well, that same God has made choice. Now, y'all would say if I'm in this room right here this morning and I was looking for God or I wanted to do what was right, I would probably find out what God thinks. I would probably understand what does he know and what would he choose. And whatever God chooses, I will think this morning you would choose the same. You wouldn't choose what the devil Picks. You wouldn't choose what the world picks. You wouldn't choose what the friend or family members have chose. You want to choose what God chooses, don't you? I would think this morning that this God that I'm speaking of, that's the eternal God, an everlasting God, a God that never will cease to be. He's a God this morning uh, that is over all and in all. And I say, what do you want to choose? I would want to choose this morning what God chose. And who did he choose? He chose his son. Now we see that because the father loveth his son. I want you to notice the first thing about this choice that God has made, that Jesus is approved. Now, there's no one else in this room approved. 
Jesus is the only one that's approved because Jesus loves his son. He's approved. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 22, it says this, Ye men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. Now who approved, who approved Jesus? God approved him. Among ye by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of, of yourselves, also know. And so we find according to the scripture that God has approved Jesus, and Jesus through miracles, signs, and wonders, God did the work. Amen. And so we know this morning, Jesus, God the Father loved his son Jesus, he approved him. Number two, he appointed him. In John chapter 5, look there in verse 19 with me. Uh, God not only the Father approved Jesus, but he appointed Jesus. The Bible says in verse, 20, verse 19, And then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son. There you go. There's another statement like that. And showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. As the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. We find that Jesus has appointed, uh, the Father has appointed Jesus. He appointed him his works. Verse 19, the Father's works. If you notice, the Bible says, My Son can only do what I do, and what I do, He does. Amen? And so we find that all the works of God, every work that He's ever done from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus has done the work. Number two, we notice that He does the Father's will. The Bible says in verse 20, that it was that He would show Him all things, that himself doeth, he will show him greater works than these. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, so the Son quickeneth who he will. And we find now the Father will was to raise up the Son. Now Jesus Christ has a will to raise up the children of God. Amen. And so we find this morning that Jesus is the appointed one of God and for the Father's works, the Father's will, and then the Father's wrath. Look at verse 21. For the Father, the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So now we have the wrath of the Father. Well, who has been appointed the wrath of the Father? Jesus has. Who's been appointed the works of the Father? Jesus has. Who's been appointed the will of the Father? Jesus has. My, the Father loveth the Son. We find here thirdly that Jesus is applauded. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, when Jesus was being baptized, we find that the Father out of heaven said this, In whom I am well pleased. 
we find all of heaven came upon earth and the words of God that echoed that day all across the world. And as God the Father was looking upon God the Son, he looked at his Son, he said, I am well pleased with him. And there was another time, whenever the, the Mount of Transfiguration, James, Peter, and John was meeting there in Matthew chapter 17 in verse 5. And boy, they tried to make some tabernacles and, and the Father said about his Son, he said, that might one there whom I am well pleased. Amen. And so of all the tabernacles that have been made and all the temples that have been created and all the worship that's going on, God the Father said to God the Son and to the James and John and Peter there, he says, that one right there I am well pleased in. Amen. So we find that not only Jesus was applauded and Jesus was appointed, and Jesus was approved. But we notice here fourthly this morning that Jesus is authority. We see that in that text back in John chapter 3, verse 35, the second part, hath given all things into his hands. The Bible teaches us this morning that Jesus is authority. Authority over what? He's authority of heaven. We find that there in book in verse 31 of chapter 3. He that cometh down from, from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. He speaketh of the earth. He cometh down from heaven is above all. He's the authority of heaven. So what does Jesus do? Jesus has authority. Where is his authority? In heaven. Number two, he's authority of earth. We find in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Oh, the Father loveth the Son. Amen. And he has given all things into his hand. What has he given unto him? He's given all of heaven unto the Son. He's given all the earth unto the Son. Boy, he loves his son, don't he? Yes, he I'm telling you, friend, uh, Jesus now, who's the power of heaven and of earth, no, no wonder that God made choice and he made choice of his son, wouldn't you? <laughs> Number three, I want you to notice the authority of hell. And he had the authority of death. Look in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Amen. There ain't nobody in all the world that has the keys of heaven and death but God. Right. Oh, but God loveth the Son. And what does he do? He giveth all things unto the Son, and which is in his hand. That means today that, that Jesus Christ has power over death. Yes, he and he has power over hell. Amen. Power over heaven. Power over earth. Man, no wonder God chose his Son. I'm telling you, that's the wisest God in all the world. The choose. His son. Fifthly, he has authority of life. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, doth my father love me. There's that phrase again. Because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man take it from me, but I lay down myself as I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. 
we find this morning that not only does Jesus have authority over heaven, he has authority over earth, he has authority over hell, he has authority over death, but he has authority over life. He said, I lay down my life. You didn't take my life from me. Oh, you think, well, them Roman soldiers came and they were all mean and big and bad and tough and they pulled around Jesus and jerked around Jesus and threw him up on that cross and put those nails upon his hands and his feet. And they said, we'll show you, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I'll show you. You didn't put me on the cross. I laid myself on the cross. And you didn't bring death to me. I volunteered to die. And no, uh-uh, you didn't do anything that I should die. I said unto you, I will take it up again because I have the power to. Right. Can I say this morning, he has the power or authority over life. Amen. He has the authority over death and hell. The authority of heaven and of earth. He has authority over authority. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, uh, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and power. And we find that the Father loveth the Son. He gaveth all things unto Him and to His hand. And what did He give? He gave Him the authority of authority. There's not a ruler in heaven. There's not a ruler on earth that Jesus is not over. There's not an authority in a home. There's not authority in a government. There's not authority in a place or in a person. There's not authority in principalities or powers or in spiritual weakness this morning that Jesus is not over. He is over every power, every authority, every ruler. He is over authority. Amen. Oh, the Father loveth the Son. Hope I'm making my point. I mean, listen, if I was going to do anything concerning my soul, I would do what God chose. I mean, you can't go wrong with that, could you? Choose His Son. We find lastly the authority over sins. Luke 5, 24 says, But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. In order to have power to forgive sins this morning, you've got power over Satan. You've got power over sickness. You've got power over the seas. You've got power over all of creation. If you've got power to forgive sins, then you've got power for everything that sin has created or touched or bothered. Amen? Amen. You've got power over Satan's seas and sickness this morning. I mean, it's Jesus that says to a sickness, flee. It is to Jesus that says to an evil spirit, go. It is Jesus that says to a water or to a wind, come. I'm telling you this morning, Jesus Christ is authority. God's choice chose his son. Wise. I wonder if you in this room this morning, what choice you gonna make? I would say probably any other choice than what God has chose is would say probably is a foolish choice. God made choice of his son. He didn't make choice of Muhammad. Let me say that again. He didn't make choice of Muhammad. 
He made choice of Jesus Christ. He didn't make choice of Confucius. He made choice of Jesus Christ. He didn't make choice of Buddha. He made choice of Jesus Christ. He didn't make choice of prophets. He didn't make choice of priests. He didn't make choice of kings. He didn't make choice of mankind. He made choice of His only begotten Son. That's the choice that God has made. And when the world and your friends and your family and Google and Internet and Facebook and Twitter and all of those other people who flank their authority on the Word of God, that they think they got a hookup with God and can tell you who to choose, you tell them they're a liar. And God chose His Son this morning because the Father loveth His Son. Amen. Amen. Number two. Number two. The saved. The saved. Choice is life. The the saved. Choice is life. If you're saved this morning, thank God. You're saved. Thank the Lord that you've been born again. Hallelujah. Glory to His wonderful, marvelous grace. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy that you bestowed. Thank you for granting us repentance. And thank you, Lord, for giving us faith. Thank you, Lord, as the Spirit of God blew by one day. And God began to draw and call us unto Him. And through faith and obedience to the Word of God, we found ourselves in the presence of God as a sinner lost, undone, without God, Christless, and going to hell. And boy, did we look upon Him with faith and turn from our sin and receive the Lord Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And within Him He dwelt as well as the Spirit of God. And I became saved, saved, saved gloriously saved. If you're saved, the reason why you are because you chose life. You chose life. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. To the saved this morning, the choice, the Son, right? The choice was the Son because that was God's choice and the Son was life. We find this morning as the saved, there was no other options. Did you notice that? There's no other options for the saved. Those that are saved this morning, we're not sitting back and say, boy, did I make the right decision? Or we sit back and say, boy, I hope that, you know, what I decided on being saved is the correct one. No, if you're saved this morning, you can honestly say in your heart this morning, there was no other option. There wasn't option A, option B, option C. It wasn't A, good works, B, baptism, and C, grace. None of that was the case. It was no option. To the saved, the very choice was life, but there was no option. Number two, uh, there was no other answer. No other answer. 
when the Spirit of God came and brought conviction upon my heart of sin and judgment and righteousness, when the Word of God began to persuade me and convince me and convict me, and whenever I come to the place of faith and repentance, when I looked up to Jesus in His eyes, I said unto Him, I've got no other answer but to receive you. If you had another answer, then you didn't get what I got. The choice. There's no other answer. There's no other option. Uh, There's no other person. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven whereby you must be saved. And we find this morning the Bible gives us a choice. You said, "Who? how did you make the choice you made? The Holy Ghost of God made my choice. The Word of God made my choice. Jesus Christ made my choice. God made my choice. And who did you choose? I chose life. Amen. Amen. God's choice, His Son. Saved choice, life. Number two, not only the choice, but I want you to notice the commitment. In verse 36, the Bible says, He that believeth, believeth. That word believeth, again, we've been talking about this for some time now, and I've been doing that on purpose because I want us to understand that believe is not just a persuasion. Mormons and Jehovah Witness and the Seventh-day Witness and and other uh, groups out there today, they have persuasion of Jesus. I'm persuaded he's that. I'm persuaded he's this. I'm, I am convinced he's that. I'm convinced he's this. I have conviction that of them him being that. Now the, this word belief doesn't mean persuasion. It doesn't mean conviction. It doesn't mean confidence. It doesn't mean this morning uh, that you have been uh, moved over in a mental way, an educational way, uh, that you're not at all in an emotional way. Uh, this word here has nothing to do with any of that. The word means a continual trust. If you look at the scripture, the Bible says, he that believeth. That word believeth there, it does not mean that someday when you were seven years old or 15 years old or maybe 20 years old, that somehow you put your faith in Jesus and you did that someday, one day, and all of a sudden you can just go back and say, hey, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved because I can go back to October 30th, 1988 is when I got saved. I can go back to that day and feel comfortable. Because I have a date. Because I have an event. Because I have a happening. Because it was a Wednesday night. It was a day. It was this. It was that. I was at Parkwood Baptist Church. I go through all that process. But this word doesn't mean that. This word means it's a constant and continual trust. When I got saved, I trusted Jesus. But if my faith is that belief, that means the next day I trust Him. And the next day I trust Him. And the next day, I trust them. And how long do you trust them until you don't have no more days? Right. <laughs> See, Fred, you can't be saved and born again and become an atheist. You can't be saved and born again and be an unbeliever. You can't be saved and born again and turn your back and run from God. You can't be saved and born again and become apostasy. You can't be saved and born again and go back to the way of life. You can't. That's right. Not in this one. It's a continual trust. I trusted him with all my heart today, and tomorrow I trust him with all my heart again. 
and the next day all my heart again. That means, brother, what you're saying is that day when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you surrendered your heart to the Lord, uh, that you trusted Him uh, for your salvation. That means the next day you trust Him for your salvation again. You've got that right. And every single day, it's a trust. Continual. Not only that, but it's a constant faith. Continual trust, but constant faith. I got faith that Jesus saved me. I got faith tomorrow that Jesus saved me. I got faith next Saturday that Jesus saved me. When I turn 70, I'll have faith that Jesus saved me. When I get 75, Jesus saved me. Hey, it's a constant faith, a constant faith, a constant faith, constant faith. Hey, where is there any place where you don't have no faith? No. I'm talking about believeth. It's a continual trust on the Lord Jesus. It's a Constant faith in the Lord Jesus. It's a, it is a very constant entrust. So that word believe means entrust, faith, and it means uh, this morning uh, that commitment. And so I've committed to him, I've entrusted to him, I've committed my heart, I've committed my life, I've committed my soul, I've committed him one day, I commit it all day, and I commit it every day. I'm committed to Jesus today, tomorrow, and forever. That's what that word belief this morning. Now, I don't know if some of y'all got it. Because if I had to look at your life and watch you live and what you do and how you participate and what you participate in and the very attitude and spirit which you hold and what you do not in church but out of church, friend, I would have to just look at you and cry. Because I would say this word belief is not part of your belief system. Now you may have prayed a prayer someday and you might have been baptized one day and you might have maybe done some good works throughout the days. But friend, as a whole, you're a sham. You're a fake. You're not real. Oh yes, you're persuaded of Jesus. Oh yes, you're convinced of Jesus. But you're just not committed to Jesus daily. You're not trusting Jesus, entrusting your soul unto the Lord for eternity. Right. That's what it means this morning. What's your choice? Life. It's a choice. It's a commitment. Commitment. Number three, there's a consequence of the commitment. The consequence in verse 36 is this. Hath everlasting life. I want you to notice the first thing about hath everlasting life is that you hold everlasting life. In other words, friend, that day whenever you entrusted Christ your soul, that day you trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, that day when you committed unto Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, that day you hold everlasting life. Amen. You hold it. In other words, I possess it. I possess that if I die today, I will go to heaven. Why? Because I possess everlasting life. 
If I would pass on throughout the night, I would go to heaven, not because of my good deeds, not because of my prettiness, not because of what I've given, not because of my faithfulness, not because of all that I've achieved and all that I've done in Jesus' name. Oh, just because I've committed and trusted and trusted unto Him and the consequences of that commitment was, a, was me holding, possessing, taking, having everlasting life. Number two, the second thing that is a consequence of the commitment to the Son is life. It's not only do you hold, but you have. That means this morning that I have everlasting life starting right now, and I know it without a shadow of a doubt. See, I don't have to die to figure out whether I have everlasting life. John 3, 36 tells me that when I believe, when I trust and entrust and commit to the Son, I have it. There's people out there tell you they don't know that you can go to heaven when you die. They're a liar. There's folks out there says, well, you got to die first in order to know whether you're going to go to heaven or not. They're a liar. Folks out there, you ask them a question, if you would die right now, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? And many of folks out there said, well, you can't know that. They're a liar. You can know that. John 3, 36 tells us we can know it. Not only do we hold the everlasting life, but we have everlasting life. And right now, this day, the reality of this is I am in everlasting life. My choice was life. Not only am I going to heaven, but I've got heaven right here and it's possessing me. I can't, I can't lose it. The world didn't give it to me. I can't lose it. I didn't give it to me. I got it and it got it to stay. Jesus said it like this. He said, you shall never perish but have eternal life. When do you get eternal life? When you die? Oh, no, not for us. We get it right now. <laughs> Woo! Man, I can live my life knowing I'm going to heaven. I got the eternal security. I've got heaven within my heart. My home is to see Jesus, friend. I'm telling you this morning, if you don't have that, then you are a miserable individual because there's going to be no joy outside of knowing heaven is your home. What's your choice? The saved choice is life. God's choice was his son. And can I say here thirdly, the lost Choice is wrath. The lost choice is wrath. Now, who's lost? Who's lost? Well, here's, here's the lost. The lost is ones who's never committed, never committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They've never entrusted their soul to God. And they've never trusted Jesus. Never have. 
Jesus has not become their life. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've never stepped over that line. You've never embraced and engaged in the blood of Jesus. You see, you want heaven living like hell. You want life in wrath. You don't want nobody to change you. You don't want to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. You don't want to be born again. You want to live your life accordingly, but yet you want Jesus to save you too. Friend, it don't work that way. You've got to make choice this morning. God chose His Son. The saved chose life. The lost chooses wrath. We find here in the sobering passages, I noticed in verse 36 it says, He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I want you to notice this morning the choice. The choice of everyone that's chose wrath believeth not the Son. That was your choice. If you're lost this morning, your choice is to believe not. The word believe means two things. It means, number one, it means to disbelieve. It means I am not going to commit to Jesus. I am not going to trust Him. I'm not going to entrust Him. I am not going to give anything unto Him. I will keep control of my life. I will do as I please. I am not committing to Him. I disbelieve Him. Number two, that word there is a different word than in verse in the, the, proper, the, the prior believeth. The prior believeth is word, as I said well ago, it means commit, entrust, and faith. This word believeth here is a different Greek word. It means disobey. Disobey. Now, it's a little different here, isn't it? So we're not talking this morning that God's not saying that you're going to, the wrath of God will be upon you because you believe not in that you're not persuaded of Jesus or that you're not convinced of Jesus. I don't believe, I believe everybody in this room sitting here would say, I believe Jesus died, buried, and resurrected. I believe everybody in this room says, I believe there was a Jesus. I believe everybody in this room would not deny that Jesus was ever born and ever lived and ever died. But that word believeth, in order for you to have a wrath of God abiding on you, is not the word persuasion or conviction or or convincing. It's the word disobedience. Now that puts a different twist on it. Because everyone in this room that's lost is going to choose wrath because you're disobedient. That's why. Not that you don't, don't believe Jesus, but you're disobedient to Jesus. That puts a total different thought on this matter. We find that word disobey, disobey, it means that you're not going to follow Jesus. It don't matter how much you believe on Him. It don't matter how much you love this church. It don't matter how much you love your pastor. It don't matter how much you love the Bible. It don't matter how much you love, uh, you know, 
you being who you are. The bottom line is, are you obeying? Are you disobeying? See, there's where it comes. And the choice for wrath are those who disobey. Disobey. They are not willing to follow. We find that the choice of disobeying is caught in Scripture all over. Let me just give you three. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Now, if you're not going to open your Bible, but listen, listen close. It says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this fire, this vengeance, uh, this damnation and condemnation is going to come upon you. Is it because you didn't believe Jesus? It's because you didn't obey Jesus. You didn't obey the gospel. My heart goes to you, out to you. Some of y'all been in church a long time. Some of y'all have heard probably over a hundred messages. Some of y'all have had out many times to come to know Jesus. And today you're still disobedient. And the flame is going to someday, one day, take vengeance upon you because you obey not the gospel. Titus chapter 1 verse 16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Disobedience. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of it be that obey not the gospel of God? What is the commandment of Jesus that you are to obey? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, Repent and believe the gospel. That's a command. That's a command. And everyone that might find themselves in the wrath of God won't be because God sent you there. And it won't be because you're ignorant of Jesus. It won't be because you're ignorant of the Bible. It won't be because you didn't have chance after chance after chance. And it won't be because the Holy Spirit of God didn't blow upon you. And it won't be because your parents didn't pray for you or your grandparents didn't pray for you. It won't be because the church at Glory Baptist Church hasn't preached the Word of God and prayed for you had given everything unto you so that you could turn your heart unto God and be saved. It will be because of of you disobeying the gospel of God. Repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel that Jesus was born of a virgin. The gospel that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. The gospel is that Jesus Christ performed miracles, signs, and wonders. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of many, of all. That Jesus Christ's blood that was shed was the power or the agent that could bring forgiveness of sin. That Jesus died and in three days he arose from the grave. And that he arose with victory over death and hell and over sin. And not only did he arise from the dead, 
dead, but he ascended unto heaven. And today he sits on the right hand of the Father. And someday, one day, he's coming back for his church this morning. Listen, have you obeyed the gospel? If you haven't, you've chose wrath. You've chose wrath. He that believeth not, he that disobedient, disobeys. We find this morning, this is your choice right now to refuse, to refute, or to reject the gospel. That's all you have. Either receive it or refuse it, reject it or refute it. Right now, because you're lost, you're living in rebellion. You're rebellious. It is seen in your words. It is seen in your life. It is seen in your attitude. It is seen in your thought process. It is seen in your behaviors. It's seen in your imagination. It's seen in the way in which you conduct yourself. You're rebellious. Number two, you're living in offense to God. God chose His Son, but you haven't. That offends God. You're living in offense. If you're lost right now and you're not saved, you're an offense to God. You're an offense to God. You are finding yourself this morning in a state of rebellion and offense. But I'm going to tell you something else. You're living in hostility with God. Your enemy. Your enemy. This morning, you're not that one that you think, oh, God knows my heart. Oh, God, God loves me, and God cares for me, and God this and God that, and you're going to go rock and roll on your life, and you're going to live like you won't do what you won't. But, friend, I'm telling you this morning, as lost, you're an enemy of God. At lost, you're an enmity with God. At lost right now, Fred, you're a foe of God. And right now, Fred, the wrath of God is upon you. It's not that way as you think it is. The lost choice, wrath. The choice they made, the consequences that they've made, shall not see life. The Bible says there in verse 36, because you have disobeyed and been disobedient, and disbelieved, and, and friend, you'll find the sun shall not see life. You'll never see heaven. Never. I don't care if the preacher preaches you in it at your funeral. I don't care if mom and daddy feel like you are. I don't care if grandma and grandpa persuaded that you might. I don't care if your friends come out and say, yes, I tell you, they're in heaven. The Bible says, the Word of God says, the authority of God's Word says that if ye believeth in the Son... You shall have everlasting life, but he that believeth, that disobeys, and disobeys the Son shall not see life. It means you never go to heaven. Never. You never enter paradise. Never. I don't care how much you want to. I don't care how much we want you to. I don't care how much we can plead with God, how much as we can pray till our nose falls off. I, it doesn't matter, Fred. We can come to the church every day this week and we can pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year that you would get saved and not go and go to heaven. But friend, if you're in disobedience and you're disbelieving and you're lost with God, you're in rebellion, and friend, you're against God and offending Him today, you'll never, ever enter 
Never, never see heaven, never enter paradise. I don't care what we do. It's what your choice is. Can I say, shall not see life? Means you can't enter, you can't see it. But I can I say it thirdly, you'll never live with God. Never live with God. Everlasting life, eternal life, never. Never. Can I say here thirdly, and we'll close. The choice that's made by the lost who chooses wrath, the consequences of that, never shall see life. But I want you to notice the condemnation. The Bible says in verse 36, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abideth on him. When does the wrath of God abide on you? Right now. Right now. Right now. The wrath of God right now is on you. And you know what's so scary about that and what's so frightening about that is that you're one breath away. One breath away. You're one blink away. I watched my daddy in his bed. He had his eyes open. He shut his eyes in a blink. He never woke back up. Now are you a blink away, and you're a breath away, but you're a beat away. The wrath of God is upon you now. The reality of your life is wrath. Wrath. Wherever you go, wrath. It's present. It's present. Can I say here, secondly, it will always remain in your lifetime. It will always continue in your lifetime. It always will dwell with you. Whether you sleep at night, whether you go out at night, whether you run and have fun, whether you have a hard or difficult time, just remember, dear lost friend, wrath is upon you. Not is it present, but it's future. The wrath of God is a future. I notice that the wrath of God is seen in tribulation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 6 with me this morning. This is the tribulation period. I kind of just want you to get a, a taste, ye that are lost this morning, on the wrath that you'll face because you have not chose what God has chosen. That was His Son. You've chose wrath. This is what you've chose. In and, and, uh, Revelation chapter 6, and I, I want you to look there. Uh, let's look at, we can't read it all here because of time, but let's look in verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, and sackcloth on, of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now this is going to happen on the earth during the tribulation period. The stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree casts untimely figs, when she's shaken in a mighty wind, and the heaven departed like as a scroll when it rolled together. Every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. That's scary already. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath there's that word of the lamb and that great day of his wrath is come now these are scary words who shall be able 
to stand. Now you chose this. You chose this. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, look at verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying, The loud voice that many men worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture of the cup of the indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torments ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night who worship the beast in his image, whosoever receive at the mark of his name. This is during the tribulation period. The rapture's taking place. The church is removed. All that's left is lost. You and all that are here are lost. And friend, you'll find yourself coming up to a place where the Antichrist, where you can't buy, sell, or trade unless you take the mark of the beast on the hand or the head. And if you take the mark of the beast, you'll find the wrath of God upon you. This is what you chose. Look at chapter 16. Chapter 16. Look at verse, verse 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. This is what wrath looks like. For the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there was a noisome and a grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. It became blood as a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood and I heard the angel water say thou art righteous O Lord which thou art was and shalt be because thou hast judged thus the way it's like you going to uh, your faucet and you getting a drink of water you turn on the water it's blood you don't take a shower you turn on the shower it's blood you go to the down to the Gulf of Mexico and Galveston and all you see is blood you go down to the Brazos River and you watch blood flow down wrath of God. That's what you chose. Look at chapter 19. Look at verse 15. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and it shall smite the nations, and shall rule them with a rod of iron, and tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture, on his thigh, named written King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls of the, of the, that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, small and great. And I saw a beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, uh, and with him the false prophet which wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. They both were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The remnant were slain with the sword of him that had set upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's Jesus on the white horse coming back on the battle of Armageddon, and they're facing the wrath of God. That's what you chose. Can I say, not only tribulation, there's the wrath, but in hell, 
There's the wrath. In Luke 16, don't turn there, but the rich man died and he lifted up his, he his eyes and in hell, being in torments. So when you die, you're going to be in hell. But then now is a tribulation in hell. But thirdly, I want you to notice the eternal damnation. Turn to Revelation 21.8. The Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the wrath of God. And then look at chapter 20, my last passage. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I saw a great white throne, him that sat on in whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small, great, stand before God. The books were open and another book was open and the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to the works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judge every man according to his works death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire this is the wrath of God and this is what you chose God chose his son the saved chose life the lost chose wrath now one more plea you don't have to leave out of here Choosing wrath. You can leave out of here choosing life. But it's your choice. I beg you. I beg you with all my heart that you would come this morning and humble yourself and submit yourself and say unto the Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm without God. I would die and go to hell. But Lord, I put my faith, I commit to you. I entrust my soul into Christ. That Lord, that you would come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. Oh Lord, I beg you, save my soul. Won't you choose life? You've already chose wrath. You come. Stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christians, please, no looking around. Just pray. Just pray. Those that are saved this morning, pray for those that are lost. Pray. 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 Pray that the Holy Spirit will blow upon them this morning. Pray that God would draw them. Pray that the blindness and the deafness and the hardness shall be removed. Oh, dear friend, this is real. What choice will you make as you leave out of here this morning? You've seen Brother George. Won't you come, dear sinner friend, dear unsaved, dear lost? You don't have to be lost. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come unto Jesus this morning? Won't you come give your life? Won't you surrender this morning? Won't you turn from your sin? Trust in the Savior. 
please. I beg you. Choose life. Don't choose wrath. Please. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Among also you all have your conversation in times past in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. You that are lost this morning, you're the children of wrath. Man, my heart broke for you. God healed. Let's pray this morning. I thank the Lord for you. Appreciate you being here. Brother Keith, will you dismiss us here this morning? God's banner red in blood, oppression, misery, where smoke and vapor stood, burnt sacrificially. The sacrificial fire ascending to the skies of dreadful human offerings who there won the prize. The dreadful burning fires, the shining stakes alight, the shame which Zion bears, God's people ne'er affright. O Savior, Lord of heaven, of earth and sky and sea, thanks for e'er that us is given, 
this heritage from thee. Nor makes it them ashamed to 